Hello, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I am very glad that you are in a position to join me on this, uh, in this moment in time. Well, I just read this article uh, that people who can stand on one leg are more likely or other people who can't balance. I mean, they start off the article with a negative. Instead of saying people who can stand uh, or balance on one leg are likely to... Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Maybe it is. I think it, the article is that people who can balance on one leg are likely to live longer. I have a problem with that. Uh, see, because of course, it said people in their middle to late years. Now, I'm still not in that stage uh, in my life, but it's still disturbing because it's one of those things you don't want to kind of have at the back of your mind, right? Like when you're trying to do a yoga asana, especially a balancing pose, and suddenly you're like, wait a second, it means that if I don't do this, and it says at least for 10 seconds, if they can't hold it, at least for 10 seconds. And I know, okay, maybe people in their 60s and 70s should worry, but I don't like these kinds of research studies or these papers put out because it kind of fucks with your head, man. It's like, it's like um, you know, these, 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 uh, soothsayers, these tarot card readers, these numerologists who basically put the the fear of your mortality um, in your mind. And it kind of like, and that's the last thing you want to do yoga. Uh, you want in your head, to pop into your head when you're doing something like yoga, which is supposed to calm your mind and to bring the unity of breath, body in, and mind. And the, 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 the last thing you need is, wait a second, you, you, I can't balance on my, I can't do the tree pose. I can't do the, the, the one-legged, uh, pose, which is supposed to be a lot of yoga. And instead of just saying, okay, you know what, I'll work on it and I'll I'll let go and I'll understand the idea of how my body needs to balance. You're like, no, I'm going to die. That's that's not good. That's not good. So, I don't know. I um, clearly was attracted by the title of the article and I read the article. But did I need to read it? No. Did that need to be in my life or in my mind? No. But it is now. And it's going to play on my mind. And it's a bit bugging, if you ask me, that some person... And, and these people were in Brazil. I think all the people who did this uh, study, who were participated in the study, were in Brazil. And you know how fucked up it is, right? 2000 and some time, they started the study. And they followed these people for some time. Um, I think some, some time. And I think they did something with some people. Uh, I, see, you, the thing is, as you might know me... Um, I'm not very specific with numbers. I just know the general idea of uh, what what I just read. Well, let's, let's just say they in- conducted this research in a group of people who are between the age of... And, and yeah. Um, and they basically followed the, 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 these people to figure out... And first of all, it's, it's a time frame which was about, about 20... 200, I don't know, years. And they followed these people uh, and they basically monitored how many of these people could balance. And then they monitored how many of them popped it. And I'm just like, that's why would you volunteer for this study? I don't know, people volunteer for fucked up things, dude. They want to be a part of something so desperately that they sign up for things. Uh, some people, of course, they do it because they have someone in their family. Like I'm saying some research, especially cancer research, or they have something with stem cells or something to benefit someone they have they love who has a problem or someone they've lost to the problem. But one-legged longevity studies, I don't know how many of you would sign up for that. If someone's like, oh, would you sign up for this? Especially if your balance is shit. Like if your balance is great, like you just be like, yeah, uh, excuse me, what does it say about a person who can balance themselves on their nose and on an eyelash and on their member? Um, I just show off as if I could balance, I'd just be like, yeah, longevity. I can live forever in this moment in time while I in, uh, discover the inner depths of my consciousness and say something and people will be like, oh, this guy's gonna, he's already living. But if I can't balance, I definitely wouldn't volunteer, especially when they have findings like people who can't balance on one leg are more likely to die in the next 10 years. When they give us something, see, that I remembered. <laughs> no other numbers I remember, but the 10 years has really stuck with me. Yeah, I, I get, um, I wouldn't say it freaks me out. I'm not like scared of all the, but you don't need this shit in your mind, dude. Like, because it's going to happen. You you know it. I know it. We're all going to pop it. And it happens to the best of us, the worst of us, the most composed. And the people who are able to face it are the ones who are able to live life because they're not worrying constantly about their mortality and about leaving this physical uh, vessel we call a human body. So the less you're scared of the final end, you are more willing to enjoy life as some people put it and you're supposed to go with that but when these Brazilian 
people can't they just stick with a brazilian wax or something like that like oh it takes out your you know makes your privates look all nice and shiny so you can reflect the amazon back to it yeah that's another dodgy place but as we found out about the poor explorer the indigenous protector and the british journalist don phillips bruno pereira poor guys man doing something noble but clearly in this fucked up world we call planet earth one good step and one good deed by a couple of people is counterbalanced i wouldn't even say or is countered by the vicious greed and the horrific acts of violence by thousands more as i said again numbers i'm not very um, compelling with my statistics but pretty sad very sad for the family and it's just a sad sad situation uh, as elton john said but coming back to these researchers now while this is happening people trying to um you know to conservation of habitats and resources and the amazon and the jungles and the plants and the animals there are people balancing on one leg it's trying to quite a weird thing we call human experience right we have people one side committing horrific crimes other side you have people trying to figure out how to live longer <laughs> it's just fucked up i don't know i i clearly it's uh, affecting me more than i thought it had when i read the article but i i'm not the best with balancing i i i've gotten better see because the thing is i, I some people are like, yeah it's because your sight is bad and you need to have an anchor point in uh, space so you can look at that and usually your your third eye or you look between your eyes at the point and you focus and i do my yoga asanas with my eyes closed so it's a little harder obviously and i don't want excuses why are people making excuses for me and why am i making why am i taking up those excuses for myself i just don't like the study yeah yeah it's not a uh, fun thing to know it's not a fun fact which you can apply to your life and unless of course you're one of those people who takes it and says balance is all i need and you take it in all aspects of itself i mean what what more can you say when one legged balance you can't say one inner balance I mean, that's something i'm working on maybe maybe i'll fund a study that says inner balance especially when it's not very balanced is good for um masculinity or some some fucked up study and endorse it and get it done and get some uh, who do i get for it i get people from like the solomon islands and i'll track them for all of 20 minutes and say oh yeah hey, this study works so yeah, highly likely anyhow speaking of balance and a person who wants to bring balance and in some sense um redeem some of what is uh, valuable to humanity but also to cultures that reside within um of course is my guest today uh, rosa vasquez espinosa she's well she's wears a lot of hats she's a chemical biologist she's a national geographic explorer she's a keynote speaker she's an educator she's a conservationist and today she's a conversationist ha huh? well wow. see what i did there um rosa is from peru from lima she's of peruvian andean descent not to be mistaken with indian hmm and we have a chat about her work about the micro amazon that's a project she's uh initiative to protect the amazon of course in the country where she uh, which she calls home in peru and um, we talk about the various aspects to such a large um task that she's taken up which is um protecting um something as diverse as the microbiome that is in the amazon many of it is undiscovered uh she um is specifically also focusing on um a species of bee which she talks about uh, i don't i, I don't, <laughs> don't know the name that's i don't come across like i know it um she basically wants to create an environment through restorative practices through more knowledge and through also through the research he does to help um in the field of medicine through these cures that are at the um you know in in the amazon which are undiscovered which are so um sort of precious for humanity but at the same time not um expose them to exploitation that comes with large corporations um there's so many things that go into this uh this level of work and it's not one layer and it's so many opportunities it's so many layers it's so many possibilities it's so many challenges there's a lot of despair there's also a lot of hope 
there's a lot of work at the same time every small step is not measured in seconds or like a tiktok reel but what you do today takes years to sort of manifest so we talk about all the things that she's experiencing she's doing and the thing that keeps her pushing ahead and the force that helps her um keep her head up high in a situation where sometimes it seems that everything's overwhelming and is against the work you're trying to do and um it's it's fascinating what she's doing uh she's a fantastic uh human being with a lot of energy and a lot of passion for her work and for the cause of the conservation of the amazon i'm uh, really lucky to have had her on the podcast and to have a conversation about everything that she's doing so i'm sure you'll enjoy the episode and um yeah i am glad that you've tuned in to the soapy rao show as always thank you very much if you know someone who enjoyed this conversation please do share it with them and uh, rosa if you're listening thank you very much for joining me on today's episode and to all of you um i'll catch you on the next one and till next time goodbye god bless take care of yourselves and uh, catch you on the other side cheers Rosa Vasquez Espinosa welcome to the podcast how are you this well morning for you evening for me <laughs> Yeah thank you so much for the invitation really happy to be here No my pleasure thank you uh, for joining me I uh, where are you now you're in are you in New York at this point No right now I'm in Michigan You're in Michigan yeah. okay and um so okay so I I mean we we just met so I think there's a lot to find out about um <laughs> so you're originally from Peru and now you live in uh, so michigan is that on work or are you based there are doing your research no so I'm, yeah i'm originally from peru i mm. was born and raised there really for um, until i started my undergrad studies so mm-hmm. right now i'm in michigan but i'm going to be relocating a bit more permanently to the uk mm-hmm. um but a lot of my work happens in the us and also in peru so mm. i'm a little bit with one foot in each um yeah You know it's interesting for someone like uh you know me being from India and a lot of people listening right now who may be from say the Indian subcontinent or someone from Asia who um always is sort of you know aspiring to study in a western system of undergraduate or postgraduate education you know whether it's um you know whether it's for engineering whether it's for uh, especially business or but liberal arts is one of those things which is new but For someone like you from South America, how is the what was the motivation to go to say the US or to the UK for your undergrad and um what is the culture when it comes to studying abroad from where you are? So, my degree is in chemical biology. Mm-hmm. Um and I I when I was growing up in Peru, I was fascinated about the science. I didn't know necessarily where I wanted to work, but I mm. knew that I had to start somewhere in a lab. And at that time, I was fascinated with stem cell research, actually, which mm. there was very little happening about that in Peru in terms of science. Mm. And I was also intrigued in natural products, but I didn't, I had not seen that much that i'm talking you know that's like over 10 years ago mm-hmm. um much has changed since but it was really that the lack of even the careers that i was looking for i was able to speak english at the time already so i was seeing some degrees that were not available in peru at the time but they were in the us and elsewhere really i applied mm-hmm. to different places and i kind of went with the one that provided me the best scholarship yeah. um but that also would have opportunities to do research as an undergraduate Um, yeah. No, so what's it like? Because I'm sorry, I'm going to act. Uh, I am ignorant when it comes to. Um, I haven't been to South America, unfortunately. But even with Peru, I, I, you know, everyone who hears about Peru, it's obviously Machu Picchu, and you hear about the uh, the tourism catering around that particular site, and about all these various historic historical significant, uh, you know, things that are related to Peru. But just for someone who's who calls it home, what's the experience like growing up? Because you know, I, I, I think. people of course have read now with the internet you know about a place but what's the experience actually being there because um you hear about other your neighboring countries with a lot of uh, positives and negatives but what's the kind of mindset of the a 21st century peruvian when it comes to um i wouldn't say social progress but when it comes to um 
conventional jobs or traditional practices what is is, is there are there a lot of people trying out new things or or is it still the same old um let's get let's get a mba get a job let's join the corporate let's join the it because where i come from there's been a huge boom over the past 20 years when it comes to uh, information technology and a lot of companies which are in that space so that has changed the landscape a lot more money a lot more middle class which is stronger and as a result which a lot of good but also some issues so in on that sort of uh, plane, what's the um, landscape like over the past, say, 15, 20 years in, in your city and country? So that's an interesting, very interesting question. And I would say it's a multi-layer answer, mm. mostly because the country is so diverse. Mm. Um, of course, you know, from a geographically perspective, Peru is so special because we have the coast, we have the Andes, and then we have the jungle. You can almost mm. like split the country into three. Yeah. Uh, but that comes inherently with a very unique set of cultures that have developed over many years, but even like nowadays, and in, uh, and even languages as well. So mm. Quechua and Spanish are the two main languages in the country, but even just in the Amazonian region, we have like tens, if not a bit more, of unique native languages. Mm. Um, so all of that come associated with their own practices, uh, culture, religion, and etc. I was born and raised in the city, in capital, mm. in Lima, sorry, the capital. Yeah. But my entire family comes from either the Andes or closer to the Amazon rainforest. So I grew up super ah. closely related to all of these upbringing and not just like culturally, you know, as a society, but even within the family, you know, like how do you approach uh, just different things growing up. So I would say nowadays it really depends where you are. If you are in the capital, you are very closely connected to most of the things that are happening elsewhere. You can think of any big city, really. Mm -hmm. I would say that something beautiful of the Peruvian culture is that people are get adapted really quickly. We have a term that we call mil oficios, which means a thousand jobs, mm -hmm. referring to Peruvians will adapt really quickly. I definitely would have say, would say that there's been an increase in, in IT as well. Mm -hmm. But I would also say that I think the biggest change that we've seen in the last few years, especially given the pandemic, was a rise in small entrepreneurs and a lot of them that do also arts as well as wellness, mm -hmm. uh, which was not really such a big focus, not from this type of modern perspective as it was uh, before. And in when you are in the outer regions outside of the capital, something that I've seen that I'm really excited about is that in the in the jungle side, more people are getting more access to technology, which is incredible. So you start mm. to get more voices out there in the internet of young people or even older people that want to share their own culture from their own angle, their own perspective, their own voice. Yeah. Uh, and so that adds a whole other layer, not just to education, but also to tourism. So deciding that you're not getting Westerns, you know, coming and telling the story of a local, but you have a local telling the story. And I think that's becoming a very powerful channel in science communication. There's definitely more talks amongst organizations that I've even been part of that want to bring those voices to the light. And I don't think that would have been possible uh, before. And I feel like that also opens a whole new, you know, set of ideas and dreams that people can have because all of a sudden that's a new career that you perhaps didn't envision having and that yeah. is now a possibility i also do see an increase in biotechnological research which mm. wasn't really such a big priority in all levels in the country i think it was mostly focused on in, on agriculture which makes sense because most of our economy is based on agriculture but i think little by little the the country as a whole regardless of where you are is starting to realize oh wow the peru has such a untapped vast of you know of bio like biological richness that hasn't really been explored fully for not just agriculture but now you know talking about restoration by remediation of polluted uh, areas mm. polluted lakes and and use in our own local tools to solve local problems. You know, that's such a, you know, just the three things you mentioned, the main sort of landscape features, which is the mountains, the jungle and the ocean, right? But, you know, typically when you hear, you know, my geography of South America was um, very broad brushstrokes, right? You read about the, the the Pampas in Argentina, you read about the, uh, the, 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 the rivers, um, the jungle in Brazil, or you read about um, Venezuela, you read about Chile, and 
the thing is that South America is for, for someone like me is such is so far away. It's almost like a very sort of um, romantic place, but it's it's at the same time it's home for someone like you. But it's got so much diversity, right? When it comes to culture, and when it comes to now, you're showing uh, through your through, through your work, which we'll talk about in a bit. But just the the the, the kind of richness when it comes to sci- scientific uh, stuff, which is undiscovered. When it comes to minerals, when it comes to historical significance, when it comes to even you go way beyond like any sort of civilized uh, documentation. There's so many things being uncovered right now in regions like uh, South America. But I want to ask you, in a lot of cases, what happened was the information which is put across about a certain country is a very colonial in, in its in its representation, right? But whoever the settlers were kind of manipulated the information and put it across. But now with the internet, with the power of the tools available and technology, do you sense a, or do you see a a, kind of resurgence if that's the word or maybe a uh, gathering and momentum of indigenous groups of people kind of trying to find their voice and taking back um, a lot of what they feel because um, you kind of read this in some places like in the, in, the, in the Pacific Islands or you might read about it in uh, some other places which have this um, which have this feature which where, where, the, where the indigenous people were oppressed but now you have a lot of the return if you want to call it to old cultural practices to certain languages which were, um, f- uh, you know, from that past. So is that something which is happening in, in Peru? Yes, absolutely. Uh, okay. And I think we are, we're seeing a rise in all of that in the last few years. And I uh-huh. think in a way COVID also propelled that. Um, so one of the first stories I heard of this was a, a group of 12 to 15 years old getting together and finding a space in the radio. And I'm talking about a remote area in the Amazon forest. Uh-huh. Sorry, there's some noise outside. Um, no and they basically tuning in daily for an hour to speak about what was happening in their own local region and trying to give hope to other kids their own age mm. and also trying to encourage other younger people to feel proud about their culture. So something that we had seen years ago to start unraveling was that a lot of the younger community members didn't want to be associated to their own cultures. They wanted to go to the capital and basically mm. kind of like get um, lose, you know, part of all of the cultural heritage that they had in a way and not even speak those languages or not learn those traditions and instead just, you know, do Spanish and English and mm. almost seen as if it was a dissociated that they needed to to get rid of that so that they could have a place in the future and progress economically and, and intellectually and et cetera. Mm. Um, of course, not everyone, but it was a big trend. There were reject. There was a rejection of culture, and and mm. you can hear this from a lot of the local, the the elderly leaders as well. They were concerned as to who's gonna carry on this knowledge, right? A mm. lot of this knowledge is oral communication. Yeah, yeah. And, I was gonna ask. Yeah, a lot of the information is passed on through those practices, yes. right? Yeah. Right. So we have incredible scientists now that are really trying their best to document all of this knowledge. But most of that has been focused, for example, only on plant, medicinal plants, but mm. not on all the other type of tools, you know, natural, natural sources that people use to treat conditions. So that was happening for a while. And then I feel like in a combination of like what happened with COVID as well as increased access to internet in some areas. There were a few things that happened. One of them, and I know this from direct interaction with a lot of these communities, was that the younger people realized that the elderly were dying. And that happened everywhere in the world, right? Mm -hmm. With the pandemic, the lack of access to the vaccines, especially in these areas. But then they realized that they're you know, they were being left by themselves. And that's something really scary, especially when they noticed that the the ones that did still knew and had knowledge about what plants to use for certain conditions could help the elderly, their parents, their grandparents. And thanks to that, a lot of them were able to still manage to survive. We had a lot of losses like everywhere in the world, but a lot of them kind of saw you like, oh, wow, they're not just telling me about all these things that we can use, but I'm actually seeing how the plant that I have right now in my backyard is literally helping save the life of my grandparents. So I feel like that kind of brought this enhanced sense of 
feeling proud yeah. uh, of your own resources. And I did hear that what, there was one plant called Matico that uh, became really popular in, in, in the jungle to use during COVID times. And a lot of the younger people started to get really motivated and planting it everywhere. And that I think nice. that was kind of like a really cool, you know, almost movement that really took, took over. And then that, and at, at the same time, there were a few leaders that became really known, outspoken in the virtual world and social media, especially mm. because they started to show how it is to live in the jungle and trying to make it cool again, being like, mm. I can still do have great progress. I can still build a career. I can still bring income for my family. I can still be success, successful in the terms of really determined by the rest of society yeah. uh, while I'm still living in the jungle. So now then all of a sudden you have this really cool footage that they record themselves on their phone, uh, you know, going yeah. through the bushes with the animals, etc. So I feel like we're hoping, I think we're going to see more of that. And I'm excited yeah. to, to help bring those voices to, to the rest of the world as well. Yeah, I feel almost like the system let people down and they realize that why should we sort of aspire to the system which doesn't care about us but only cares about the same repeated cycle of taking care of certain people when abandoning others when we can go back to things and look at what we have within our own geography or within our own society or within our own history or tradition and I think that's amazing because a lot of times you know um, I think there's so many good things each society culture civilization has depending on where you live in the world but you kind of get stereotyped right like everyone's like oh you know right now the hot thing from south america is ayahuasca and you just sort of talk about it like everyone's doing ayahuasca but it's i'm sure there's a lot of good related to ayahuasca but there's a lot more like as you just mentioned like this plant that you can grow in your backyard but yeah. I, I just want to understand what is you know what, what just before before we go uh, into sort of the actual work you do what is culturally when you go from south america to north america how are you received are you received as an equal are you treated as uh, a peer when it comes to your research um, or are there still biases because i mean i lived there i had a great time i have some great friends who live in america i just want to understand because i've never spoken to someone from south america about their experience because it's the closest when it comes to i mean besides of course canada but we know that mexican uh, people from mexico deal with uh, a lot of bias against them. A lot of people from, say, Nicaragua, from Honduras deal with issues. So I just want to understand what someone from, like, say, Peru deals with when they go uh, to study, not not as a as an immigrant, if you want to call it, or as a refugee, but as a person who's gone on a student visa to get yeah. a degree. Yeah, that's a, that's a fascinating question. I would say I came in really young. Um, I was 18 when I moved. And the very first few... I guess things that kind of shocked me a little bit besides the the food because i was just so used to a whole different culture of food in peru mm. it's a culture like it, it's a, a thing like there's even a saying that say that says peruvians have the right to eat good like it's there's <laughs> such a such a social gathering around food which we also see in, in europe mm. uh, that you know wasn't necessarily part of the culture here so that was a slight part of my identity that i couldn't identify with mm. but um that and and the just the differences even in saying hello i think i i went and i think it also depends where you're in the u.s i had for my first move from peru to the U.S. was to a very small town in Tennessee, very, very small town. So oh, wow. that was already a big change. That was bold. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would have been perhaps different had I gone to a city like Miami or New York, mm. you know? Yeah. Uh, let me close here. Wait, that was, um, anyways, so um, I wasn't aware of small cultural things that that do make a big impact in your day to day, even how to say hello. Mm. I wasn't aware that in South America, the practice we have is not carried out everywhere in the world, mm. right? We have, we say hello with a kiss on the cheek or with a hug to strangers. I think the only person I had ever shaken my hand to, to say hello was the principal in my school, like to that mm. level. Uh, right. Meanwhile, in the US, that's how you say hi to everyone. Um, so that was, 
if I think in a way it took me a while to to get used to that because it kind of create a sense of distance already immediately and yeah. I was just not used to that um but over time you know you kind of like learn what the best practices are because at the end of the day my opinion is we should do our best to incorporate the culture like into the culture that we are going into right yeah it's absolutely like I'm, I'm, I don't need to be imposing myself in a new place where I'm going into now in terms of of my work i would say or or you know even socially the biases i may have you know seen mostly is assuming that i come from a specific place oh you are this color etc so you're mexican right i'm like no mm. you know that's fine but uh, you know at the same time i think that also depends in the city where you land but it's been quite of a common denominator and it's just me i just take it as an approach as a way sorry to to teach people about Peru. I'm like no there's this yeah. really cool country in south america um, people mistook of, me for a Mexican, so I think it's it's fine. <laughs> people, I, I, I I've, got an, I've got an Indian a lot as well, you know. Okay, but, yeah. I think we're, I think we're interchangeable: South American, Latin American, yes. Indian. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Yes. Uh, and in terms of the science world, I think I think more of the more bias I got, even you know, above the cultural and racial one was in terms of my other interests outside of science, which were arts. Mm. I felt more of a bias in all the senses about the fact that I had a strong dance background and that I did dance professionally mm. whenever I enter into the more professional science world. That's when I, I, at least that's when it impacted me personally. I feel like I tend to kind of like not really pay attention to if there's other biases, because I think that says more about the other person than me so i was just yeah. kind of brought up in this mentality that it doesn't really need to impact me so i think in a way perhaps that's why i've been able to navigate all of the changes especially at you know such a critical age for somebody getting developed inside themselves at 18 uh, but i would say that that bias was definitely stronger no that's a very important strength to have and i think that's nice that you mentioned that because in today's sort of um context where everyone's trying to instead of look at them um selves from within and look at the internal dialogue that shapes them which is the, the good the bad the ugly the strength the weakness and sort of say you know what what other people say is not in my control but i'm going to kind of focus on what i can do um instead of doing that people are just going to sort of look out at the world and blame the situation or blame what's external for their issues and i think what what you did is really strong because you're like you know what i this is who i am but it's interesting that you mentioned that your bias was mainly because you're coming into the space of science as a dancer. And that's yeah. that's something which I think while I don't undermine the bias, I say it's it's interesting because it's it's more of a something uh more of something which to do with your choice, right? Which is as opposed to how you were born, which I think is quite a an interesting thing to deal with because so w would you say that people took you less seriously or was it more of a uh sort of strength that you could display saying, hey, you know what, this person is an amazing dancer. At the same time, she really wants to sort of explore this idea of um, chemical biology. So, or how was it? Like, were, were you uh, kind of doing this balancing act? I think you can relate the, the, that type of bias to a lot of the feminist bias that, that a lot of women get. Because okay. uh, I've definitely seen this with a lot of the younger female that I mentor, and they definitely feel that, even mm. though necessarily, you know, they don't come from a dance background. Mm. Uh, in my specific case, I think it was a combination of like, yes, I don't take you seriously, or like, I don't understand why you are even trying to get into the science world, mm. or almost like well if you're doing this then it makes no sense that you're doing that and this type of incongruence that kind of happened in a lot of people that i met i feel like it it definitely resonated with how they they treated me or approached me in terms of the science world now what i would also say is that despite of the fact that that was you know not necessarily a bias based on where i was from or what color i am and etc it still has the same level of impact i feel like yeah. um or you can have right because it definitely sheltered me in like made me kind of go into like a, a little bit of a cage for a, lo a little while where i was mm. literally trying to keep those parts of my life separate it puts you on the defensive yeah yeah yes a hundred percent and it takes your desire to interact with some people away which is detrimental to the career where you need to be networking as well um mm. now what i would say is the biggest thing i've learned is that if you just keep showing up 
with work, they can have all these biases, but at the end of the day, your work is what talks. And yeah. even though it may take a little longer to get there because of those biases. But it's a bit I tiring. Like, yeah. It's a bit tiring every day trying to sort of, it's one more, I wouldn't say a hurdle, but it's one more thing to think about, right? Yeah, it's definitely one more thing to think about. It also showed me that I was looking at the wrong places. It also showed me that the people that I was getting those biases with wasn't people I should be working with. Uh, <laughs> nice, and the yeah. People yeah. That, the people that, you know, kind of welcome that and kind of like really helped me become more comfortable with that part of myself is the people mm. I want to be working with. And it, it has shown, it's proven right time and time again. So now I almost use it as a filter <laughs> to decide right. like who I collaborate with. It's a good way to gauge people, yeah. If you just break that yeah. as a conversation starter and they're like, what? And you're like, nah, I'm going to move on. <laughs> but yeah. did it did it ever flip? Did anyone in the world of dance treat you differently because you're a scientist? Like, did you ever experience that? Um, I would say perhaps they would assume that I was, you know, I knew everything about the body, like medicine of the body. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I was in the it's interesting world. how the art, art world perceives some biases more positively and the science world looks at art biases <laughs> yes. more negatively. <laughs> yes, that's a great way to put it. It was more of a positive bias. Yeah, I was yeah. like... Thank you. I'm not. I'm not there, but I appreciate it. You yeah, must it have been. Yeah, you must have been really popular in the dance room. No worries. If anything happens to us, we have Rosa to help us. <laughs> <laughs> I only have CPR training, but yeah, I, I think that I had never heard it put like that. That's a beautiful way to put it. It was a positive bias. Mm, yes. Okay, so you know, let's talk about for people who haven't uh, come across your work. Uh, can you just explain to them? Because I know you're a chemical biologist. You're an artist, as you mentioned. So. It, maybe just to get the conversation started in this direction, what do you do uh, and maybe when did you get started on it? So I explored the micro world in the jungle and other extreme environments too, but most of my work is focused on the Amazon rainforest. And by micro world, I study all the way from extreme forms of microbes um, to Amazonian stingless bees, so tiny creatures. My main goal with chemical biology is how can we understand the genetics and the chemistry of all of these often ignored tiny organisms that we have around us that yeah. play such an important role to maintain life yeah. around uh, different areas. How can we use that to help us not only learn and expand our knowledge, but also to protect nature better? In my opinion, there has been a big gap in biodiversity conservation, which is focused on the macro forms of life, what you can see with your naked eye. Yeah. Meanwhile, tiny beings are just as critical for the proper conservation of an area. So that's where I want to take my word. And at the same time, while you start unravel all these data, you start to learn about potential new medicines, potential new tools for greener methods for agriculture and chemistry. So it's a, almost a win-win. And I feel like mm. We need to put more chemical biology in other areas where we haven't put chemical biology. That led me to collaborate with National Geographic and become an explorer with them a few years ago, which mm. was on its own a life-changing experience. And it also brought me into a, a new parallel career, I want to say, which is science communication now. Um, mm. And like I mentioned, I did used to do dance professionally. I still do it as a hobby. Mm. And more importantly, I think... I like to say that I'm more of an artist. I was trained like a scientist. I think mind-wise, I just have always naturally gravitated to that, but I'm just fascinated by the science world. So whenever I do projects in education right now, I, lot, I work a lot with younger children. Mm. I try to bring all of that in towards teaching science. So how can you use art um, and not just as a way to share communication or share messages, but to be integrated? You know, it's fascinating you talk about this because we are just coming out of this pandemic where clearly the one of the reasons, if you believe into conspiracies and the other reasons, but if you just look at the basic, uh, maybe if you believe the popular sentiment, it's about humans sort of interfering with the environment, which results in, you know, evolving viruses that manipulate themselves to sort of infect humans. But from what you're talking about, these systems, these microbes, have been in place for centuries and human beings have coexisted with them in various shapes and forms when it comes to tribes of the Amazon, uh, the Amazonian tribes, or it comes to other groups in Africa, or it comes to other groups in Asia. But clearly there's been an imbalance. But just the other day I was reading about how there's this new um, sort of 
project which is being proposed to sort of get minerals from the deep ocean which has never been explored and a lot of the approaches earlier have been brash right we just go kind of ruin the environment then in hindsight go back going, we shouldn't have probably done that <laughs> you know so yeah. these the, the the thing is that the people are t- like obviously when there's a country which is really poor and there's a huge mining company that says no you have really good resources under your ocean beds which is about 60 70 kilometers they're like you know what i need to feed my population today not think about the generations 200 years down the line and this i'm not this obviously i'm kind of summarizing in a very very layman's point but when when you are faced with this and trying to explore something which of course sounds beautiful like let's protect the amazon right but it's not just one giant forest it's layered it's got human um, elements it's got animals it's got these various millions of plant species these microbes so I don't think I have a question here. I just usually I don't have a question. I just kind of keep rambling, and then I kind of arrive at some point. But what, what, where do you start with something like this? How do you focus your study? Because you said you're looking at the microbes and their potential uh, chemical and medicinal benefits. But uh, what, what is something that immediately you can relate to on 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 a level of thing? Is is it uh, a cure for a disease? Is it a certain compound that is missing, uh, an, un, sorry, an undiscovered compound that could change or revolutionize medicine? So what was your starting point? It is a very complex area, right? Mm-hmm. Like Just like you said, and it's not just the nature aspect of it, it's the communities. And you said something so on point, which is people need to feed their families today, not mm-hmm. tomorrow, not in a year, today. Right. And that's something that needs to be so taken care and t- taken into account when we talk about fragile ecosystems like the Amazon rainforest, because we cannot just go and point fingers and be like, oh, some of the locals are cutting their own trees. They just are ignorant. They just don't mm. know. They don't see, you know, we know better. But I am from my apartment in Michigan. Um, I feel like we need to have more local experiences to actually understand and integrate the culture into the work that we do and and realize that at the end of the day everybody needs to fulfill their human basic needs um so with that in mind uh, my first approach into the amazon work actually started years ago um, when i was around 15 and i had started to travel all across the amazon just to try to connect with people that were doing science and education and communities i just wanted to understand what was known because at that time for a variety of random if, events in, in my life, I came to to the thought that we didn't know much about the microbes in the Amazon. I just was looking on the internet and there was barely to known information. I'm talking, you know, that's like 15 years ago or so. Um, and so that the first connection I had was with a scientist that uh, allowed me to collaborate with him to, to mm-hmm. do a, a chemical profile on a medicinal insect that communities have been using, mm-hmm. but which, who like the use of this insect wasn't really properly um uh, documented yet mm-hmm. so that, that kind of brought me into this world of like oh we can you know find not just nutritional value but the medicinal value which was part of my first proposal with national geographic to look at this extreme river it's a boiling river that it's placed in the middle of the jungle and it happens to be in one of the areas most heavily hit by deforestation so it's like extra extra fragile um but nobody had looked at its microbiome yet so Mm -hmm. the idea was well if we can do all of this work you know meaning conservation chemistry etc in such a fragile environment hopefully we can use that information to strengthen the conservation policies and laws around it and then this could be replicated in other areas now in terms of the science itself because there's nothing known about it my first idea it was which is actually we're completing it within the next few months to create a microbial map the idea being well there's many possibilities. There's a possibility to find one microbe and perhaps use to use it to develop a tool to help us with PCR, which is mm. we have PCR now thanks to an extreme microbe first found in Yellowstone boiling waters in the US. Mm-hmm. So with that same analogy, we could just explore this extreme environment that happens to be in a hot biodiversity space like the Amazon rainforest. But that's one avenue. Another avenue is we now know that some microbes can make potential powerful medicines and we can obtain those in a 
in a sustainable way because we don't need to be chopping down trees to be able to get that medicine. So yeah. that's another one. There's so many avenues and I could dive farther into all of them, but the first goal is that we don't know what's there. So with mm. my work, we want to first establish that. I believe that there's amazing capable scientists both locally and internationally that could take the work in so many directions and hopefully we're also going to take it in so many directions as well but my main goal is to like let's make it achievable for somebody to then continue to do more in this space so creating a microbial map and starting to develop hypotheses as to like we believe these ones have the most potential to produce new medicines we believe that these ones ha are have the most relevance in terms of the ecological importance of the area and by being able to draw all of these connections then hopefully inviting more scientists to join us because it's such a big effort one person on one team absolutely cannot do it all yeah um, and then now in my more newer projects so that was more related you know with the conservation but then the more time i spend in the jungle and that goes back to the first idea i mentioned which is we need to think that everybody at the end of the day is a human and we need to fulfill our basic needs so with that idea in mind how now do you make it relevant to the local people and be able to use this information not only to expand science and, and allow for more collaborations and bring in more local scientists, but how do you actually help build a sustainable system of economy for, for locals? So then you get they get encouraged as well to protect the area even more. Because at the end of mm. the day, you know, if you if you need to put family like food in your table and somebody's offering you money to cut this one tree. Uh, but there you have no other offer. What do you do, right? You Meanwhile, yeah, 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 you can yeah. create new channels. So then saying like, hey, actually, if we're able to protect this area, you can gain this income. So all of a the sudden there is an extra motivation besides the right. fact that they need to protect their own land, right? This is the Amazon jungle. It looks like such a foreign space for most of us, but it is people's homes. Like that's right. literally their own backyard that it happens to be big and so important for the world. And on the more newer project, it's, that we're studying Amazonian stingless bees, we did saw an opportunity to make it more tangible for the local families, where now we are doing, you know, also trying to create a microbial map and looking at the chemistry of the honey that these stingless bees are making, but with the purpose, not only of expanding science and yes, bringing collaboration and then the conservation side, but now it can serve as a basis for them to develop a sustainable economy, which is what we're working closely with my local colleagues on. Yeah, you know, it's 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 quite a fascinating how exploitation works, right? Because it's so easy to say, yeah, you know, why are people going and why are these tribes cutting down the trees? Because as you said, you know, it's easy for them, it's easy for us to sit here and say, oh no, they got to protect what their ancestors gave them. But, you know, it's just immediate needs versus heritage, right? But, you know, the Amazon, of course, is, is huge and, 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 Many of us don't even, can't even sort of put a, wrap our heads around it because it goes across three, four countries and maybe more, maybe less. I'm sorry, I'm a little off with numbers maybe. Eight, but yeah. Eight countries. Okay. So now you might be working with a team and a government that's really, really keen on sort of re restorative practices and, and conservation attempts. But, and also maybe what is a natural to your part or the, your country's part of the Amazon is very different from what Brazil's part of the Amazon has. So now when you have these things going on, but say the country next to you doesn't do anything at all, um, what, 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 what tends to happen? I don't know if, 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 if mm. there's like, almost like if, there's, if all eight aren't in sync and making similar efforts to restore and say, for instance, one country is really going out of the way to, to make sure that they understand, break down, catalog, uh, preserve, etc. And then you have the other country, which is the other end of the spectrum, where they just complete de deforestation, displacement of tribes, you have pollution of the water, you have all sorts of things which are obviously opposite of what you're trying to do. Wh how does that sort of represent itself uh, in the habitat? If I don't even know if that's it's, it's, it's yeah. a question. I, I think on, on one side, it creates some sort of an imbalance in the knowledge that we have, which mm. is going to inform the practices that we do around it. So I think that is the main disadvantage that I see. I mean, just an example, in a way, Peru made it really difficult for scientists to come in and study the area, really difficult. And I'm glad I experienced that, like trying to access that world of getting permits to do work from the US because it allowed me to see what internationals have to go through to be able mm -hmm. to study an area. And I, 
I'm such a big motivator of like, we need more locals doing work, but I also inherently have got to acknowledge that we need collaborations with international institutions that have access to perhaps different machines that we don't. That's just the reality of it. We need mm. uh, in tandem work. So I think because of that, there was a lack of information that we had on the Amazon rainforest on Peru versus other countries. Just to give you an example, um, most of the Amazonian containing countries have an atlas of the pollen derived from uh, Amazonian stingless bees. There, they basically have that cataloged so that they can it can help identify the type of species or the honey, and it creates some sort of a metric for the pollen and even its consumption. However, we actually still to date, we don't have that in Peru. There's an incredible local scientist that now is working on that and she has collaborations with other institutions. So they're getting on it, but it shows you how some countries, exactly what you're what you're talking about. Some countries have been left behind. Now in some areas, perhaps that doesn't really change much. You know, it doesn't really impact anything. But now let's say we were talking about, you know, a hypothetical case which is, well, actually not hypothetical. Bees are disappearing. We know that. Mm. But let's say there was something specific about the pollen. And let's say we made a policy all around based information that we know that is excluding Peru. Then all of the sudden, like, yes, different countries, you know, the the ecology is going to change slightly. You're going to have niche areas. But at the end of the day, the Amazon forest didn't used to have these delineations, these limits, right? It used to be the one thing. So at the end of the yeah. day, it's a condensed area. So, so political you... boundaries didn't exist. I mean, the whole habitat right. is one. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's interesting. Exactly. So in my, my, my question then to everybody is like how it's almost as if you only know a to M in the vocabulary, in the in the alphabet. Mm. Uh, you don't know all the way through C, but now you're trying to develop a class or a phrase only using that. You're missing out on a lot. Um, so and I it almost that, feels that like you kind of, you, you make your perceived boundaries based on whatever you've decided is the geography um, that yes. you control. But at the same time, these are much more ancient systems which are underground, which aren't separated by fences or by... Um, so-called <laughs> physical boundaries, right? Like they go much deeper. But in 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 a similar thing, you said uh, something earlier, which is very interesting. A lot of the stuff you learn or which is passed on by these indigenous groups is done orally. Now, when you go in as a scientist, of course, there are scientific practices, right? Which are based on proof and you have to go through various levels of proof until something is tested. And then, uh, I, I, I don't know the scientific term, but it's arrived at and then it's approved and it's gone into whatever stages, right? There are different things and different stages scientists go through. But is there a thing because I've, you know, read and I've heard stories about how now certain things like, for instance, which were taught in yogic sciences 3000 not yogic science in yoga 3000 years back are now being proved by psychiatry by medicine um in the conventional scientific way now but when you go in as a scientist while you're trying to empower the locals um i'm sure there are people within these tribes who have the knowledge they might not know it in a conventional um sort of cataloged way but they know what this plant does or they know in, in their context of information, they know how this thing works. So do you as a scientist or do your colleagues consult these people when you're discovering microbes, their potential, plants, their potential? Uh, or is it straight like, let's just exclude it and get the scientific information alone? Or is it a combined effort? Uh, it depends, I would say. Okay. So for the Boiling River work with the extreme microbes, mm. we decided to do it in an independent way and then share all of the results and see what comes up in terms of similarities. So okay. we try to do it in a more independent manner because we wanted to be unbiased as to mm. where we were sampling, the, getting the samples from mm -hmm. so that we didn't have this like, well, we know that there's more medicinal stuff here and we only sampled there. Because when we talk about the microscopic world, we know so little in the Amazon forest about it that I feel like if we only do that bias approach, we would be missing out on a lot and perhaps the most important. Now, that's for that work. On the bee work, it's been a little bit different because my local colleague has been working with the communities for a long time. And the very first step in his approach was to collect the information that ethnobotanical practices already do. So mm. he went on an interview and cataloged that interview on like, how do you use the honey? How do you prepare it? What type of conditions do you use it for? What are what have been your experiences? And having all of that information, putting out in a scientific way and sharing the results with them. So working really closely with the community and also not just sharing what, you know, the different communities 
do to the to each of the communities, but also encouraging them to use that information whenever they are, you know, teaching others about their bee practices or even selling their own honey as well. So using it as a tool. In empowerment. Now, for the work that we are doing with the Amazonian communities, we are getting started, but we're working closely with a few families right now. When the goal is going to be like the, we know what species of native bees they are focusing on because they mm. claim to, that they make the most potent honey. So we're starting to look at those. So it is okay. a bit more of a bias and working closely with them when they're not only like we are coming and taking samples and being like, now this is what we do, but it's a conversation because it's not about, I don't necessarily believe in like, oh, we need to empower them. They actually are empowering us. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, because it seems like uh, there's so much, right? I mean, I this is I have absolutely very little information when it comes to medicinal thing, but I I've heard of things like psilocybin, or you heard heard of certain mushrooms or certain fungi which are helping people with depression or post traumatic stress disorder. But when you uh, when you present these findings, say to panels or whoever you present it to, so, sorry if I'm coming across as ignorant, but I just no, uh, no. it's it's it seems like a lot of companies or corporations pharmaceutical just take and run with it and then the yeah. next thing you know it almost they go after the source and say you know what we don't care about the preservation of these environments we don't care about the depth and the scope and there's so much more than we that we can uh, that we can benefit by sustaining but let's just take this one aspect of it and run and exploit and exploit and exploit and I'm not talking about the people alone I'm talking about the environment or whatever that particular molecule or the chemical may be so w- when when you have such a wide possibility uh, or set of possibilities when it comes to maybe a honey that is good, but it might not be scalable, how do you yeah. present your findings without being terrified that people are going to take that and take all the good work you've done and use it for bad or use it for profit alone? I think that's when communication and sharing knowledge with the communities is the most critical. Because at the end mm. of the day, I'm just a channel. I'm just a channel. You know, I, that's how I see myself of doing work and communicating. But they're the ones daily with the bees in the area and practicing it. Yeah. So they need to be the ones in charge to make that decision. And they know what they need. I, I won't know better. They mm. absolutely will know better. Um, so I think it's about, you know, we haven't put out the work out there. It's definitely a concern. But at the same time, I think that because of concerns like that, we have been withdrawn from learning more about the jungle. Mm. And so I think that my goals, and I know that that's part of their dreams as well, is that the sale of the honey first becomes a, you know, normalized. So right mm. now they can only sell it in local farmers markets. They cannot mm. in, in jungle, they cannot even ship it outside of the city because there's no really sanitary protocols associated. There's even none at all. Like we only have sanitary protocols for the 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 stinging bee honey, the one that we're all familiarized with. Right. But there's none for native bees. So I feel like that would be a big success. And mm. hopefully our work is you know, pushing towards that direction because it it would allow the communities to be able to increase the price of the honey and being able to really ship it anywhere and increase their production yeah. within themselves. Now, in terms of of companies, I, I I think to be honest, I they are some of the smartest people that I've talked to, and I feel like if they have a strong idea on what on on what the work it's doing and what it's catalyzing, then they will be able to make the right decisions. And we're there every step of the way so that we could also help filter that as well. Mm. And I feel like that a lot of the the production companies, they perhaps will try to focus only in areas that are really easily accessible. However, Mm. something that we're seeing is that the areas that are easily accessible, some areas don't even have native bees anymore. I've actually run into some communities, elderly people that have lived for the entire time in an area that's already been, you know, tackled by the first station for a long time. They have not seen native stingless bees ever. To me, that was shocking. So now we need to go into these deeper areas, which there's no routes to it. That's why not many people do this work. You need to be in a boat for like 12 hours on end in a rainy day and it's dangerous and it's consuming and it's not productive towards you know a commercial aspect yet which is i think in a way it's going to be detrimental to production companies wanting and coming to take over because it's going to be way too much money but at the same time i hope it will encourage facilitating from the government at least to build better transportation channels 
you know, and just at least bringing that attention and getting it going mm. uh, and just doing our best to to monitor and keeping everything balanced. I think there's definitely more. The government is doing a better job, at least in Peru, mm. to be uh, to be aware of what can we do and when can we not. And they are definitely yeah. very strict on those aspects and they are in close communication with the communities. And I feel like if you combine that with the scientific evidence that us and other local scientists can bring, then we can stand up a little stronger than we could have 10 years ago. Which is so encouraging to hear because I think sometimes we lose perspective on how, you know, first of all, I think these are such ancient jungles and ecosystems and we kind of try to put it in perspective of our limited experience on this planet i'm saying me as a 39 year old i'm just like oh or, or whoever it may be and little do we know how long they've survived and evolved over these thousands of years and hundreds of thousands of years but and in that context you know sometimes you hear the media reporting it and maybe it's biased maybe it's unbiased who knows what the the motivation behind the reporting is but it just seems all just so bleak like it's it's you just hear about if you go to one source it's oh that's it it's it's the end of the planet and you go to another you go to another source like no it's all misinformation you got another source it's like greta thunberg is doing something so how bad is it really from someone who's been on the ground and what is the sort of things you've seen that have deteriorated but at the same time have you seen things that have also given you hope both it okay. is worse it is worse than what it sounds it okay. is terrifying Mm-hmm. The numbers are not too accurate, I would say. They're as accurate as they can be, I understand. Um, but I definitely think it's worse than when it's being reported because not all the losses are being reported. We haven't even heard about the story I just told you about elderly not having ever seen native stingless bees because they live in such a area, you know, in such a deforested area for so long. Mm. We don't hear those stories. And I think that's really a testament of we only, you know, even in the news, when I come into the American news, and like I try, I try to like, oh, what are people talking about the jungle? All we hear is these big numbers of deforestation that then yeah. just don't make it tangible for us yeah. or what it, what it, it, yeah, how it impacts the daily people. The biggest changes I've seen over the last, you know, since I'm 15 to now, close to 30, it's even the the climate I mean, the climate change we see the the impacts everywhere but yeah. when you are talking about an area where to get from community to community or even to go to the market or to the main city where you can buy supplies and etc you sometimes it takes longer than 12 hours on a boat sometimes you actually need to do a day sometimes you need to do a day stop somewhere else and then keep on going on a boat and i'm talking most people are going to have a small not even motorized boat sometimes Mm. that you know if there's too much rain one day you just simply cannot or you will fall Um, so i feel like when when we say climate change we are already having a big impact ourselves like i feel you know extra hot in the summers extra cold in the winters mm. but i can still go inside my home where i can regulate the temperature and be comfortable yeah that doesn't happen there that yeah. you're entirely dependent on how the day goes mm. and perhaps now with increased rains the houses are actually getting destroyed faster and it's getting more complicated for people to get from area to area. So yet that makes it more difficult to get even food that perhaps you cannot get in your in your local spaces anymore because now it's so dry, it's not raining enough, or it's mm. actually raining too much that things are not growing where you usually were able to rely on your own produce. Um, so I feel like there's a lot of these impacts that we're not hearing, which show that it's worse. It's definitely terrifying. Like I see the numbers. There was just one of the latest UN reports on, on basically biodiversity in general. It shows that people are already, you know, always saying like, oh, we need to do something. It's at the tipping point. I think we're past that. I think now we just need to remediate as much as we can and then quickly and we can. It's not about like, oh, we can do that. We still have like five years to start acting really strong. We're beyond that point. Things are getting worse faster than people had even predicted. But with that being said, what does make me really hopeful is to see younger people wanted to especially in the local areas where i work wanted to be involved and to have a voice and to and and they are growing up 
with all of these changes that we're talking about, not, you know, in my case, I'm seeing it now as an adult. I was able to still enjoy the jungle 15 years ago or 20 years ago or more when it was a different space, but now they're growing up with it. So I feel like the sense of commitment and responsibility and like, you know, greed of like, I need to do this now, it's even stronger in younger people um, everywhere. I, I see it everywhere where I work, really. I'm working closely with a, with a fourth grade, fifth grade classroom in mm. Idaho, and, and I see it in them, and they definitely see it in the locals as well. Um, and despite of some areas being so remote, we still have some internet access, not reliable, not always, but some. And I think uh, by having more big organizations wanting to give voice and a platform to local people, then we can facilitate slightly bigger improvement in all areas. Let's face the truth, we're not going to be able to save all of the jungle. That's the absolute truth. We're not actually going to be able to save most of the tropical rainforests. And as devastating as it sounds, I think we are with the capability to protect a big part of it. Um, so that's thanks that's to people like you, yeah. Thank no, you. I mean, That's what <laughs> no, it's really, it's really amazing because it's such, I wouldn't say thankless work, but it's such long timelines, right? It's not yes. something that you can see tomorrow. It's not something that you can tell a friend over dinner, like, oh, you know what I found today? I found the cure from the Amazon. It, it takes so much time. It takes so much. It's such an uphill battle. It's such, it's so many odds that you have to fight against, but you still do it. And I think I'd like to uh, thank you, and I think so, I salute the work that you do, uh, Rosa. And thank you so much for coming here today and sharing everything with uh, people listening and with me. And uh, for people who are interested to reach out to you, and uh, I was telling my niece, my niece is uh, sixteen; she'll be sixteen uh, in August, and she's just writing her um, GCSE exams, and she loves biology and chemistry. And I said, I was, was going to get you on the podcast, and I said, if you really are keen, someday you can maybe go uh, do an internship with. Um, with, Please, with yeah, she'd love I have to. An, I have an NGO in Peru, and I definitely take young interns because I know it's hard to get experience sometimes in labs. I have one in Peru, so please have her reach out to me. I'll do that, and the best part is that she's uh, learning Spanish, so she's really, uh, yeah. So she's she'll she'll be in touch with you. I'm pretty sure she's she's really sort of loves animals and the environment, and I'll put her. Um, hope we'll stay in touch. But for people who want uh, to reach out to you and to your organization or to follow you, if you could just drop your social media handles, which of course I will put in the link at the description as well. But if there's anything uh, you'd like to direct them towards, I'd um, really appreciate it if you could share that now. Yeah, so I'm trying to be more social, more active, sorry, on social media. Uh, you can find me everywhere with Rosa V. Espinosa, V. from Vasquez, which is how I go in my publications as well. I, I'm most active on Instagram, mm -hmm. trying to be more active on TikTok, right. sometimes on Twitter and Facebook, but Instagram is the place to find me. And also my website goes with the same handle, rosavespinosa.com. Okay. Um, I'm trying to, to keep everyone updated over there. Uh, and yes, please reach out. I have my emails over there. I tried my best to keep up with messages on social media, whether it's to give voice to somebody or some some story that is important that should be shared. I also try to to do uh, lives from time to time with people that work or live in the jungle to highlight stories that don't make it to the media. Mm. Um, so thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been fantastic. My pleasure. And thank you, I think, on behalf of everyone listening for doing what you do and uh, keep up the super work and all the best with your discoveries and your Cures for mankind. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're very kind. And good luck with your new little girl. Thank you so yeah, much. Thank you. Appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you, Rosa. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again. Appreciate it.